passing it away, so he trusted that I would bring something. <laughs> but, um, but before I begin, I'd like to thank our Anglican brothers, Dan Connolly and David Donaldson, for coming to lead worship. Um, both these guys have young kids and babies, so it's definitely a sacrifice for them to be with us. So thank you. Um, and also, I don't often get the chance to do this, so I, I really want to honor our worship and tech teams. We are a small team, and most of these guys are rostered on almost every week. The amount of time and effort that they put in each week with midweek rehearsals, early Sunday morning starts, not only that, on top of that, they upskill themselves just so that we as a church can come and worship our God and enter into His presence. So these guys really embody the message I'm presenting today. And I want to say I'm extremely grateful that I get to work with them. So let's honor these guys. Well, today we are starting a new series called Worship Central. In this series, I would like us to explore the big theological question around worship in the 21st century. What is worship and why should it be central in our lives? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we take the time and the space to engage with these questions around worship, that you would break out of any box we have put you in and give us a huge vision for what you can do in our lives and in our church. More than anything else, I pray that we will encounter you in a deeper way and be equipped as worshipers so that we can see our local church empowered. I pray that this will be a life-changing moment for us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Worship is central. All around us, in every possible form and style you could imagine, on earth as it is in heaven, today, right now, as it has been for thousands of years, worship is going on. Throughout the world and throughout history, there's always been a conversation going on about worship. From the early church fathers wrestling with what worship should look like in the explosive decades after Jesus, to the reformers asking what God requires of us in the light of Scripture, the question remains, how should we worship? Today, people are equally passionate about styles and expression of worship. Worship leader and songwriter Tim Hughes tells of a story of how he was packing away his guitar after leading worship at church one day. When a lady approached him asking if he had the name of the third or fourth song they had sung that morning. He started to go through the song list. Together they established it wasn't open the eyes of my heart or shout to the Lord. It was then that it dawned on him that perhaps she meant here I am to worship, a song that he himself had written. He rather arrogantly assumed that she wanted to thank him for writing a song and was about to share a story of how the song has blessed her. Excited to hear what she had to say, he gently prompted her. Oh, it wasn't by any chance here I am to worship. He even began to sing the chorus, trying to re recreate the moment for her. Quick as a flash, she cried out, Oh no, I hate that song. <laughs> Whenever I hear that song, I want to puke. 
he began to go bright red, pretending it was a song by Hillsong that he didn't like either. <laughs> Here was a, a person with strong opinions about worship. We might laugh at this song, I mean this story, but it happens more often than we would like to admit. But I believe this is because many of us are passionate about worship. We are excited to grow in our understanding of what it means to build a firm foundation of a lifetime of authentic, heartfelt worship. Perhaps some of us may feel disillusioned with worship, tired of performance, burnt out by empty religion, feeling somewhat cynical about things seen and experienced. Or maybe others are afraid of the change that seems to be sweeping through many churches around us, and we are left feeling unsure of what we can bring. As your worship pastor, I'm here to tell you that wherever you are at, you have an important role to play in the worshiping life of this church. It's not only the worship team or the tech team or even Pastor Ian or me. It's, it's not only our responsibility. It's our corporate responsibility as the church because worship involves all of our lives, not just one part. Yes, our worship service on Sundays focus mainly on one specific aspect of worship, expressing our worship through creativity and music. This is a critical part of worship, but it is important to remember that it's only one aspect of what worship involves. So let's look at the bigger picture of what worship is and why it is so central in our lives. Firstly, worship is our purpose. God has a purpose for our lives. We are not an accident of signs or a cosmic mistake. We have been created for a purpose and that purpose is to worship. The Westminster Shorter Catechism proclaims that the chief end of, human, of humankind is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Our purpose in life is found in bringing glory to God and to know the joy of relationship with Him. The God who created us as an act of pure joy intends for us to know His love and to love Him in response. In Ephesians, we see that before the creation of the world, God chose us to be in relationship with Him and that our very existence is for the praise of His glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to 6 says, For He chose in us in Him, sorry, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace for he has, which he has freely given in the one he loves. So worship is central because God made us not as a project to be discarded once creation was completed 
but as children who he would share a powerful ongoing relationship. And this relationship impacts everything. Worship is the total alignment of our heart, soul, mind, and strength with the will of God. It is our wholehearted response to God's extravagant love and mercy. William Temple, the great Archbishop of the Church of England, wrote, Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness, nourishment of mind by His truth, purification of imagination by His beauty, opening of the heart to His love, and submission of will to His purpose. And all this is gathered up in adoration is the greatest human expression of which we are capable. You only have to look, you only have to take a quick look through the Bible to see how profound this call of worship is. In the Old Testament, when Abraham first encountered God, he is called to obedience sacrifice, an act of worship. When Moses led the people out of Egypt, it is so that they can worship the Lord. And Miriam led them in a song of worship. When Hannah hands over her much long baby son Samuel to the Lord, she lifts up her voice to worship. When David danced before the Lord with all his might, it is an act of worship. When Elijah called down fire from heaven, it is in the context of worship. When Job loses everything, he falls to his knees in worship. In the New Testament, when Mary knows she is carrying in her womb Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, she worships. When the wise man greets the Christ Lord, they worship. When the infant Christ is presented to Simeon in the temple, he worships. When the disciple realized that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Messiah, they worship him. As Matt Redman, the worship leader and songwriter, writes, when we face up to the glory of God, we find ourselves face down in worship. The truth is, everyone worships something. The English word worship comes from the Anglo-Saxon worship, which literally means to ascribe worth to something. If something captivates our heart's affection, our mind's attention, and our soul's ambition, it effectively has our worship. However, our ultimate purpose is to worship God. You may have all the money in the world, every earthly possession you desire and still be left feeling flat and lost. Until we discover our purpose in God, we will never be satisfied. St. Augustine once prayed, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. In Jesus we find the answer to the meaning of life. We have been made 
by the maker and are saved by the, and saved by the savior with one extraordinary purpose of enjoying relationship with God. Today, we are invited into this beautiful exchange that is worship. And here, we find our true identity and purpose as worshipers of the living God. Amen? Secondly, worship is our priority. If worship is our purpose and it finds expression through the whole of our lives, then it stands to reason that we must make it the main priority in our lives. We need to learn what it means to make the worship of Jesus Christ central. Simply put, worship is our response to what we value most. I can remember the time <clears throat> when PJ and I were dating. I gotta be careful there, my Enosa sitting over there. We had, we had started talking about marriage. We were sharing our hopes and dreams. We were planning the life we hoped to build together. And in this atmosphere of romance and love, I remember asking PJ if I was the one for her. She responded that she knew deep down in her heart and beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was the one for her. At this very moment, can you imagine her reaction if I went, um, Beck, I'm 99% sure that you're the one for me as well. I can guarantee you that I would still be single today. <laughs> and Isabel wouldn't be born. A marriage will only work if that relationship is prioritized. Similarly, genuine worship involves giving everything we are to God. He needs to be our number one priority above every other ambition, affection, and activity. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is invited to the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha. You guys know the story well. Martha exhausts herself in the busy preparation of organizing a meal while Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, refusing to give in to the formidable cultural and religious expectation of the day. It was a shocking gesture, but she was utterly devoted, utterly determined to make the most of every minute, to hold on to the Lord's every word. Practicing hospitality and welcoming strangers was a high religious duty set out in scripture. Highest of all was to welcome a rabbi, a traveling rabbi or a teacher. And yet, Mary did something radical and countercultural. Luke's gospel describes her as sitting at Jesus' feet in the posture of a disciple, effectively asking to be a disciple herself. Frustrated and outraged, Martha Burston and even interrupts the teacher. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Sounds like me and my sister when we were growing up. And yet Jesus defends Mary's choice. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but the only thing needed is that 
Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Worship will only be our priority if we choose to make it so. God doesn't force us to worship Him. We are left with a decision to make. Will we choose to be like Martha, caught up in the busyness of life, even distracted by doing things for, for Jesus? Or will we choose to be like Mary, whose priority was to sit at Jesus' feet, completely focused on Him, not letting anything, not our ambition or self-interest, nor the expectation of others, nor, the, nor any kind of distraction get in the way. That choice has implication for our time, our lifestyle, our money, our energy, and our ambitions for this life. In worshiping God, we make Him the priority. As Richard Foster, the theologian, writes, if the Lord is to be Lord, worship must have priority in our lives. The divine priority is worship first, service second. And I'm sure many of you have heard Pastor Ian preach that from this platform. The Bishop Sandy Miller, the former leader of Holy Trinity Brompton in London, tells the story of attending an early vineyard conference in California. Having been dramatically inspired by all that was going on, he went for a walk along the beach to pour his heart out to God. He was so thankful for all that was going on in the church life of Holy Trinity, Brompton. As he prayed, he was suggesting things that he could offer up to God to use. But when he asked the question, God, what do you want from me? He felt God clearly say, Sandy, all I want is you. Before we get caught up in making grand statements and trying to offer God our ambition, achievement, and money, we need to first and foremost offer up ourselves. All that we are, all that we have been, and all that we will ever be. Worship first, service second. Our very first calling is to love God. In that sense, the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength must come before the great commission to go out and make disciples. The theologian John Stoke wrote, the highest of missionary motivation is neither obedience to the great commission nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, but rather zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. If we want to see the re-evangelization of the nations and the transformation of society, we must learn to make worship our priority. Thirdly, worship is about God's presence. 
Worship is not about rules, religion, or regulation. It is about relationship. Everything we do must flow from our relationship with God. We miss the point when we reduce worship to programs and practicalities rather than focusing on the person and presence of Jesus. In John's Gospel, we see how Jesus redefines the geography of our worship. In chapter 4, we observe a remarkable conversation Jesus has with a Samaritan woman about worship. As the subject of conversation moves from water to worship, Jesus begins to explain this radical revolution. No longer is worship limited to temples, techniques, and tradition. As Jesus explains, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Rather, worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The center point of worship was no longer found in a temple building made of stone in Jerusalem. It would be and still is found in the person of Jesus. In Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can now experience the presence of the Father. In worship, we can boldly draw near to God, knowing that in response, He will draw near to us. The theologian James Torrance speaks about two different responses in worship, task and gift. Many of us view worship as something we do, a task. We attend church, we pray, we read the Bible, we serve the poor, and we give, give, give. These are good things. But this view of worship not only places us at the center of worship, it also leads to exhaustion. By our own efforts, we can never do enough. Another perspective of worship is as a gift, that it is our greatest joy in life. As C.S. Lewis reflects, in commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. Worship is something we're invited into. In worship, we experience God's presence and are gathered up into the community of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that in worship, we receive God's love as it is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. When we understand worship as a time in God's presence, we discover that in worship, we are encouraged, we are envisioned, inspired, restored, replenished, and renewed. Worship becomes life-changing and exhilarating as it brings radical transformation. William Temple writes, This world can be saved from political chaos and collapse by one thing, and that is worship. Because worship changes us, 
and in doing so, the world. In a world of economic crisis where major institutions are shaken to the core, where over 27 million people are caught up in human slavery, and millions die of starvation and needless disease. Only our God is strong to save. When we worship Him, we are filled with His presence. And not only that, we are empowered to be agents of this change and transformation. Our hearts are softened to love more like Christ, and our eyes are open to see the needs and possibilities all around us. Now, I'd like to invite Mikey up on the platform to share his own story of when he first encountered God through the power of worship. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, thank you. So um, just like to share my experience with regards to um, worship. I, for me, it's in the context of singing praises to him or in, like in a worship service. So my experience in worship is not something very dramatic like for other people, but for me, it's something I would not trade for, for anything else. Um, I was born in a Christian family, so listening to hymns and other Christian songs was nothing new for me. Um, however, sometimes I felt that it's more of a chore rather than a privilege. But as I journeyed through life and started growing in faith, worship became an integral part of my life. It all started when I was in high school, so that was two years ago. <laughs> I guess it helped being in a um, Christian school where I was forced to attend regular worship service um, once a month. So imagine the dread. I remember there was one, this one service where I really opened myself up to God and started experiencing His presence. So during this experience, tears just rolled from my eyes, and all I wanted to do was to sing my lungs out, my lungs out and worship our King. I remember having goosebumps on my nape, followed by joy oozing out from my heart. I had this unexplainable peace, kind of like I remembered like in the verses, like, peace that transcends all. I have that kind of peace. I knew that his presence was there surrounding me and comforting me. Funny thing was, it just so happened that during that time, I started to learn how to play guitar, but my reason or my purpose for it was to use it for looking cool in front of girls. <laughs> it did work one time. <laughs> uh, but little did I know that God's purpose was to use it for his glory. And here I am. I've been involved with worship team or for in like three different churches already for 12 years now, and I can see myself still doing it for the rest of my life. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Myron. And hopefully, Mikey's experience is not unique to himself. Hopefully, each and everyone has a story like that of experiencing God's presence in our lives, whether in church or in our own time with God. Because this gift of worship that God has made possible for every one of us to enter and experience the privilege of His presence. In Christ, we are free to enjoy access to all areas by the Holy Spirit, a pleasure we can enjoy forever, not just on this earth. Once there was a time when the people of Israel were symbolically separated from God by a thick curtain in the temple. 
In Jesus, we have passed through that security cordon into the holy of holies. However, this freedom has come at a great cost. Something extraordinary happened on the day that Jesus offered his life on the cross. At the moment Jesus breathed his last breath, the Bible records that the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus has broken down every barrier, opening wide the way and invites us to experience his presence and enjoy him forever. As we draw near to God, we find ourselves running into the arms of a good and faithful Father whose love endures forever. In the presence of this all-loving creator God, extraordinary things begin to happen. We begin to change. As we worship in Christ, we experience a glorious chain reaction of blessing. We discover more of God's love, His goodness, His faithfulness throughout every generation, and our hearts cannot help but respond in worship. We'll get the worship team to, to come to the platform now as we wrap up. We started this message exploring the fact that God created us to be caught up in a dynamic relationship with Him at every level of our lives, heart, soul, and mind. When we nourish this dynamic relationship, guess what? We want more. Worship sparks more worship. Whatever type we're talking about, the singing or the living, the face-down silence at the foot of the cross, or the determination to sacrifice all that we value in pursuit of a deeper connection with God. When we live like this, we cannot help but be changed, be made whole, and be inspired to want more. So we end where we begin. Worship is central to everything we do to everything we are, and to every aspect of how we live in the kingdom of God. Worship is central to everything the church does, regardless of style, denomination, or tradition. All that we believe, think, say, and do must flow from our beating heart of worship. Jesus is our purpose, our priority, and our privilege. And today, he calls us back to discover the centrality of worship. Throughout this series, I would love to encourage us all to do one simple thing, to make worship even more central in our lives. That is the invitation, to embark on a glorious adventure that never ends, but continuously captivates and satisfies. When our worship is focused on Christ, when we find our purpose in Him, prioritize Him, and spend time in His presence, then we will not only see life being transformed, but we will see the transformation of society and culture all around us. And this is why we believe 
worship is central. Let's pray. Lord and Father, I thank you for the amazing gift of Jesus. I thank you that in him we find our true purpose as worshipers. We pray that you would help us to make worship our priority and that we would enjoy the great privilege of drawing close to you in worship. So Lord, as we open ourselves once again in worship to you, the Lord, your Holy Spirit will come and continue to speak to us, Lord.